0: Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to
1: support these efforts at PACSci.org. You're listening to SoundSide. I'm Mike Davis, in for Libby Dankman. For the last 15 years, Amy Griffin has been building a list.
0: How it initially started was two goalkeepers that I had coached, very same age, grew up playing in the very same neighborhoods, really, same fields. And I ran into both of them at University Village.
1: Both also had lymphoma, a form of cancer.
0: And, you know, they had no hair. and They're great kids, just unbelievable kids. Of course, they're just sort of laughing and having this great attitude and saying, you know, typical goalkeeper, typical... You know, why us?
1: Amy is a longtime University of Washington goalies coach. And that search to find answers to that why us question has led her on a years long mission to connect the dots between crumb rubber soccer fields and rising rates of blood cancer in young goalies. But it all started with this meeting.
0: One of them said, I wonder if it's the stuff in the field. I wonder if it's those little black dots because we're. Eating them, and we get them in our eyes, and we get them in our sores. And I'm like, no, no, that can't. I go, I'm going to go find out the answer for this.
1: Now Amy has a list of almost 300 people. All have cancer, and all are athletes who played on crumb rubber fields.
0: The further I dig, the, the more insane it becomes.
1: In a new report for KUOW, web editor Stephen Howey digs into why Amy's list keeps growing and the unregulated world of AstroTurf fields. And he joins me now. Hey, Howie, thanks for joining me. Hey, Mike Davis. So can we just start by saying, who is Amy Griffin? So Amy Griffin is a legend. (laughs) That's a great start. She
2: played in goal for the U.S. women's national team when they won a World Cup title in 1991. Uh, She's now one of the nation's top soccer goalie coaches. She coached for 24 years at the University of Washington. One of her uh, players was Hope Solo, uh, who went on to be in goal for the U.S. Women's National Team for 16 years. Uh, one of the you know best goalies in history. Uh, now, uh, Amy Griffin is she's the head coach of the U.S. Deaf Soccer Women's National Team, who they've won two national titles under, or in, I should say, world championships under her reign. And she's also the goalies coach for the OL Reign Youth Academy, uh, which works with girls from the ages of nine to nineteen. I should say that that Amy Griffin has been collecting a list of people who play sports and then are diagnosed with cancer uh, for the last 15 years. And specifically, she's focused on goalies uh, who play on artificial turf and then get cancer. And the majority of them have a certain type of blood cancer. Uh, So uh, there's different types of blood cancer. There's lymphoma. There's different types of, of leukemia. Uh, and more than fifty percent of the people on her list have that type of cancer
1: thanks howie in full transparency my both of my daughters play youth soccer. they play for Seattle United, but Amy is a legend. I think anyone in Seattle who knows anything about soccer, her name is just one of those names you 've either met her or you heard of her so she's she has an amazing reputation what interested you in her list and this work that she's doing?
2: Well, I I first heard about this actually from a uh, a goalie at Western Washington University in my previous life when I was a journalism professor. Uh, and she, she played in goal and she knew about uh, Amy's list. I was also working on a book called uh, Anti-Cancer Living. Uh, so I was a ghostwriter for this book. So I was interviewing a lot of people about cancer and its causes. And I was just kind of taken aback by the fact that there are so many chemicals that we live with that are in our clothes, that are in our lives, uh, that are almost completely unregulated. Um, And so when I saw this list, I thought it was was an example of a potential cancer cluster that was not being recognized as such.
1: Right. And when we're talking about the soccer players in particular, or athletes in general, we're talking about astroturf and a specific kind. We're talking about crumb rubber fields. And for those unfamiliar, can you explain what a crumb rubber field is?
2: Yeah, so basically there are 13,000 artificial turf fields in the U.S. and 85% of those use shredded waste tires as the infill. So they... We had a huge problem in the U.S. with waste tires and all these tons of waste tires. And they found a way to, quote, unquote, recycle them by shredding them up and using them on artificial turf as the kind of cushion. So it helps prevent injuries for athletes, and 85% of them use this as the infill for that turf. So they have these plastic grass blades, and then they put this crumb rubber on top of it and spread it around, and that's like the cushion so people don't get hurt.
1: Yes, yes. And if you have a kid that plays, these are the little black dots that end up all over your entryway when they come home from practice. Now, it's my understanding that we know that these rubber tires are carcinogen and there are regulations to protect people from them. Do those regulations not apply once they're broken down and put on fields where where kids play sports?
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, There are huge regulations in Washington state for disposing of tires. So you have to have a special license to be a waste tire carrier and to, to place those in, to pick them up and then put them in landfills. But once they get crushed up, they're basically unregulated. It's the same material. They take out the steel that goes around the tires and some of the fibers, but everything else is still there.
1: As you mentioned earlier, Amy has specifically been following cancer in goalies. Why would goalies be more likely to be affected by these fields?
2: That's a that's a great question, and it's something to be honest with you that I didn't really realize uh, because I I've, I've watched soccer and I've seen goalies and they look like they're mostly just standing there. <laughs> 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 I mean, they make saves, but it's for the most part they're upright. But if you watch them in, in practice and in training, it's a whole different story. And KUOW's uh, creative director, Tio Popescu, did an amazing graphic of this, uh, showing how a 10-year-old goalie dove down into the turf 18 times over the course of a 10-minute drill. Goalies spend more time going up and down uh, in the turf than any other player, so I think that one of the things that Amy Griffin probably knows better than almost anyone is the extent to which goalies have a unique relationship with that crumb rubber.
0: I mean, if you dive, your face is right where the crumb rubber has been disrupted. So we get them in our eyes all the time. We have to take our gloves off and try to get the black dots out of your eyes. You get them in your mouth. You get them in your abrasions, right? And they, they probably get through your pores on a hot day.
1: Mm, thank you. Now, I, I don't want to be callous here, but cancer is a relatively common disease. The American Cancer Society says over 1.9 million new cases were diagnosed in the U.S. last year. What makes this seem like it can be a cause of causation and not just correlation?
2: Yeah, that's a really good point, too. And and in truth, it's really incredibly hard to prove a cancer cluster because there is so much cancer in our society. Uh, but one of the things that I've learned is that only 5 to 15 percent of cancer is genetic. So that leaves 85 to 95 percent of cancer that is caused by something else. Uh, so we live in a world that has a lot of carcinogens in it. And I think our job as a community is to limit our exposure to carcinogens as much as we can, especially for our kids. Uh, who are more susceptible to you know because their bodies are growing, they they have more susceptibility to to cancer. Um, so you're right; it's it's a super hard thing to prove, and and to be honest, it hasn't been proven that this direct link between crumb rubber and cancer. But the the thing that I always talk to people about uh, that always makes like scientists upset about this is that. In the U.S., we don't follow what's called the precautionary principle. So we're not like, this is a dangerous thing. We don't know whether it causes cancer or not, so let's not let kids play in it. It's more like we put the chemicals out into the community, and then only, and this is kind of callous too, but only when there's a body count do we start to study whether or
1: not it's killing people. That's an interesting point, Howie. Your report says that Amy brought her findings to state officials. What did they do when they got her list? So state officials used
2: Amy's list as the basis of a study to look at whether or not this qualified as a cancer cluster in Washington state. So they did what's called uh, an expected to observed ratio look at the cancer cases, treating Griffin's list as though it was all the cancer cases of all the soccer players who had ever played on artificial turf.
0: So they assumed that my list, Amy's list, included every single person that had ever played soccer and played on crumb rubber and had cancer. They didn't look any further than that.
2: When in fact... It was only the people who knew Amy Griffin, who knew about her activism, and who shared their information. So it was a fundamentally, in, in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of um, scientists, it seems like a really flawed way to start
1: a study. Yes, yes. So, going, and going back to your previous point, kids are still going to be playing on these fields while all of these conversations are happening
2: and this study is being used by other states it's being cited by the federal government and it's been being cited by governments in other countries and agencies in other countries as evidence that crumb rubber is safe wow
1: <laughs> is that that's you're serious that's crazy how you wrote an entire story about the state's response to amy's concerns what else stood out to you about how amy's concerns were handled
2: well I was just really, to be honest with you, I was really shocked that the Washington State Department of Health and the UW School of Public Health, because they teamed up on this study too, would conduct a study that seems so obviously flawed. uh, Because I have a lot of respect for that department. And, you know, news outlets, when this study came out, where, including KUOW, where the, the headlines on all those stories were crumb rubber, study shows crumb rubber is safe to, for kids. Study shows that it's not dangerous to play soccer on crumb rubber. You know, all, all these headlines all over the country. And, you know, the fact that knowing as little as I know, and I'm not a scientist, but even I know that the way that that study was conducted, it's not a legitimate study.
1: Well, Howie, you spoke directly to public health experts who were critical of Washington's conclusion about the safety of crumb rubber fields. What were their concerns and what did they say to you? So one of them, Rachel Massey actually
2: wrote her dissertation in part about the Washington State study and how flawed it was uh, to base a a study on, her, on Amy Griffin's findings. One of the things that Rachel Massey said was this should have been the start of an investigation. It shouldn't have been the investigation's findings. And I think that that's a really important thing to note that Amy Griffin was just bringing, trying to bring light to the fact that a lot of people she knew who played in goal were getting cancer and getting a certain type of cancer, a blood cancer. And she'd never seen that before, and then all of a sudden she was seeing it a lot. All of a sudden she had, you know, two people she knew who had this, and then she had nine people, and then she had 15 people, and then she started keeping track, and then she had 50 people, and now she has close to 300. So I think that here is a person who is concerned, who is deeply engaged in this community, and they're trying to spread the word about this problem. It was dangerous the way that that information was treated because not only did it dismiss her concerns and uh, in in a way that wasn't legitimate, it's also being used to justify crumb rubber use and, you know, the continual creation of these crumb rubber fields in the U.S. and there's almost as many in the
1: European Union as well. Well, now that Amy has started this and got this ball rolling, are there other studies that are being done? I mean, this one this one study has been done, and, and you're talking about how flawed it is, but are there other studies that are happening?
2: There are other studies. There is a federal study right now that's billed as the largest study of crumb rubber in U.S. history. That just released Part 1, and it's we're waiting for Part 2. Uh, the initial part of that study said that crumb rubber has more than 350 chemicals in it, including known carcinogens. But also, I think maybe scarier than that even, is that 200 of those chemicals have never been studied. They aren't on an EPA list. So as we wouldn't chem- know. We wouldn't know, right? It's uh, So it's even more terrifying. I, I think that there have been a lot of studies, but the studies tend to... In order to control the results, they tend to look at one component, right? There's not a lot of studies that look at the complete mixture that you're experiencing when you're playing and, and getting this crumb rubber on your skin, in your in your sores, in your abrasions, in your, your breathing it in when it's hot. In your lungs. In your lungs. And uh, the, the, the thing about goalies, too, is that they tend to get them in their eyes, so Amy Griffin was, uh, talked a lot about being asked to get a crumb rubber out of a goalie's eyes because they need to see, right? Uh, but they have on these big gloves, so, so they can't get the crumb rubber out of their eyes.
1: You mentioned before that, you know, we know about the chemicals in the tires and all of that, and the tires are regulated. But once the tires are broken into pieces, there's no regulation for that. Why? Like, why? If we already know that the tires are carcinogens and we already regulate that, why wouldn't we regulate those same items once they're broken up into little pieces? Right.
2: Well, that's a great question. And that's that's really a question that kind of lingers with me because I don't feel like that question has been answered. But I would say that the people who think that this is OK would say, our exposure level to those chemicals is not so much, right? Because, um, you know, you're playing, like one of the things that really annoyed me (laughs) that I heard a lot was, you know, we don't know whether crumb rubber causes cancer, but we do know that exercise is really good for you. So, you know, because we don't know that this other thing is bad for you, you should go ahead and exercise because we know that that's good. And, and to me, that's like that's a false equivalency. Right. It's like it's like saying like I have a friend who uh, who actually lives in Seattle who likes to do triathlons, but he also occasionally smokes cigarettes. So his idea, right, his goal, his dream is to do a triathlon and then get done and then light up a cigarette and turn to pe- when people are like, oh, my God, and just go, what? You know, I just ran a triathlon. (laughs) That's his dream. That's his dream. That's his goal. Because, but see, just because running triathlons is good for you doesn't mean that cigarettes aren't bad for you, right? So, So why can't people have both things? Why can't they have safe places to play and also, you know, be encouraged to play?
1: Well, Howie, what happens to these fields when they get old and start to wear out? Like, is there an opportunity to just get rid of them and replace them with grass or something safe?
2: Yeah, yeah, that would be ideal, at least from the a lot of the scientists I talk to uh, really hope that that's the direction we go because the turf fields do wear out after 8 to 10 years. So, you know, this this thing about getting recycling waste tires and getting them out of the landfill, guess what? You know, 8 to 10 years later, they're all going back to the landfill and they have just as many chemicals as they had before. Uh, they found uh, that the crumb rubber, uh, when it leaches into waterways, it kills coho salmon, uh, just, like, just like tire runoff does. Um, and they've also found uh, in the blades of grass of artificial turf that has um, PFAS. They're called forever chemicals because they never degrade and they bioaccumulate in in fish and in wildlife and they're generally considered bad.
1: That that all sounds bad. <laughs> so is there is there any push anywhere to try to regulate these rubber crumbs because now it's not just the kids on the fields it's it's the fish it it's animals it's wildlife like is there any push to get rid of these rubber crumbs?
2: There there has been targeted pushes in in different places the the mayor of Boston uh, banned the installation of new artificial turf in city parks in Boston but a state ban didn't make it through in California Governor Gavin Newsom allowed cities to ban artificial turf within their cities so just made it like it's okay but it's up to city by city to do that. Um, washington state we we have no regulations around artificial turf uh there was something that was proposed in the House back in two thousand and sixteen, but it didn't make it out of committee
1: Wow i got I have a larger question for you howie it's your opinion should proving casualty be a requirement for regulating chemicals at all I don't think so i
2: i mean I feel for people like Amy Griffin because here's here's a person who has a concern. They're in this community. They're seeing increasing amounts of cancer. And why is it up to her? You know, why why does it have to be up to the little people to bang the drum and try to get legislation, try to get the attention of politicians and try to make things happen from that direction? It seems to me that if people are putting, if companies who are making millions, million, of dollars, uh, this is a, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, uh, and they're, they're putting these chemicals into fields, I feel like that would be smarter to test on the front end before it gets onto the fields than to test it on the back end uh, after it's caused damage. And, you know, I, I talked to a mother of a boy who, he's now 22, but... He was diagnosed uh, with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when he was 13. And he's been through four rounds of cancer. He's, he was just diagnosed for the fourth time. He's had his spleen removed. He's had a bone marrow transplant. He's been through multiple rounds of chemotherapy. I mean, that's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing for a kid to have to go through. And it's a horrible thing for a family to have to go through. And, you know, it's, it's changed his life. His mother is, is, is the one who took Amy Griffin's list. Uh, her name is Jean Bryant, and she's the one who organized Amy Griffin's list and now created a survey so that people can tell uh, Amy Griffin and have their data entered into the list. And that's, that has helped the list grow. But still, it's like all these little people who are kind of suffering as a result of us not following the precautionary principle.
1: Howie, what is Amy hoping will happen next with all of her work? <laughs>
2: Amy, I get the feeling that that Amy is, you know, she's committed to this fight, but I feel like she's frustrated by the lack of progress. Um, she's seen it grow. Her list, when when the state studied this in two thousand sixteen to two thousand seventeen, had fifty three people. And now it has 290. So she generally sees a bump in interest when things like an art, another article come out about it. But she doesn't see the needle move a whole lot in terms of, you know, these fields being replaced. What she would like to see is all the turf fields rolled up and all of them replaced with grass. That's what that's what would be her ideal. She likes to say... Uh,
0: I mean, the Pacific Northwest, we have sod farms here. We can grow freaking grass.
1: And not, not to be grim, but does this mean that her list has to grow before the state of Washington will ever actually respond by rolling out the grass fields?
2: Yeah. I was that was another thing that really disappointed me is that the state when I when I said, you know, one of the one of the things that determines a cancer cluster is more and more instances in the same occupation. So if you consider like soccer goalie like an occupation then you can look at that and say, well, more of the people in this occupation are getting this type of cancer. Uh, So that tends to point to it being a cancer cluster. Uh, But when I asked the state epidemiologist about that, she said no new studies were planned. So I think that, that really this type of thing, because of the way our system is set up, has to come from the ground level. It has to come from people's outrage and from people objecting and from people demanding that their kids play on grass.
1: Now that Amy knows or that she's observed these instances of goalies getting cancer— has she made any adjustments to how she trains or or what she does as a coach? Because she still coaches soccer. She still works with goalies. Is there anything that she's doing on her end to try to limit the exposure of, of kids to the crumb rubber of the soccer field?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there aren't a lot of options uh, when you're training goalies in Washington State. Like Amy likes to say, there's hardly any grass anymore. So... A lot of the times, even if teams play on grass fields, their practice fields will be crumb rubber uh, and artificial turf. So some of the artificial turf has been replaced, or the infill has been replaced, with cork or walnut shells, but those options are more expensive. So it depends on the school district or the city or the community where that field is located as to whether they can afford that and very few places anymore have grass in Washington State because our weather is so rainy, as you know, and uh, the grass tends to turn into mud puddles. So the, the nice thing about artificial turf in the Northwest is that it's playable year-round.
1: Stephen Howie is a web editor and producer for KUOW. Howie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to Soundside. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m., Monday through Thursday, or anytime online at KUOW.org.
2: Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's Teen Dance Ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.